We opened up a restaurant on our property up at the Miramar, the Rosewood up in Montecito. The greatest idea in the world, Japanese restaurant, very elevated, blah, blah, blah. We're gonna be true to the mission. It's so wound tight. It's so true to the mission. It's so not fun to eat there. <laughs> it's just too damn serious. <laughs> and the waiter's sort of whispering to me like you gotta be quiet. And I turned to my team and said, we just gotta change this. And I think the challenge for us as a company, are we pivoting quick enough? Are we saying to ourselves, okay, we messed that one up. Let's go fix it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Nordy Pod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. In this episode, we're sharing a special live recording of the Nordy Pod from on stage at a conference for the International Council of Shopping Centers. My guest, innovative retail mall developer and operator, Rick Caruso. Now, if you've ever actually visited any of Rick's properties, you've likely noticed that there's something different about them. Rick and his team at Crusoe are extremely mindful about creating environments that transport you to a better and definitely a safer place. Crusoe is responsible for some of the most incredible shopping centers in California, including the Grove at the iconic Farmer's Market in Los Angeles, the Americana at Brand in Glendale, the Commons at Calabasas, the Promenade at Westlake, the Lakes at Thousand Oaks, Palisades Village in Pacific Palisades, and the Rosewood Miramar Beach in Santa Barbara. Nordstrom has had a great relationship with Caruso as they've been very hospitable hosts for several of our stores. I'm super grateful that Rick has agreed to come chat with me at the ICSC conference. He has a really unique and valuable perspective on some of the big hurdles we face today in our industries. So let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rod Johnson and I'm proud to be a part of ICSC Center Build. I'm excited and able to introduce next two main event speakers, Pete Nordstrom and Rick Caruso, who will be doing a live taping of the Nordy Pod. Please welcome Pete Nordstrom and Rick Caruso. Okay. Rod, that was really good. Now, Rod works at Nordstrom, if you know that. And this may be the first time I've ever seen him in a sport coat, so I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> Rick, thanks so much for agreeing to do this. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think maybe the, the best place to start, Rick, is for those in the room that aren't super familiar with you know, your journey and, and what you guys do, is talk a little bit about you know, your background that brought you to this place where you now are a super successful developer here. My journey was really pretty simple. I started out as a lawyer. I was practicing in Los Angeles on the corporate security side and, and I was with a very large law firm and at the time it was the largest law firm in the United States called Finley Cumble Wagner. 
And Finley Cumble, about six years into my career, literally crumbled and went bankrupt. And uh, the senior partner came into my office and put the check on so my desk. You needed desk. to find a job. I needed a job. And I had just gotten married. And I went home and I said, Tina, congratulations, I'm unemployed. <laughs> and it was Tina that said, you've always loved real estate, so why do you get into it? And I started uh, my company. I convinced my assistant at the time, Laura, to come with me. But I say that because I didn't know the rules of real estate. I didn't know the rules of development. I hadn't developed anything in my life. Uh, and I think that was a great gift to me because it gave me permission to do things differently. And when you take a look at our properties, um, they're not the typical indoor malls. They're very different. Uh, and it was always this idea that I wanted to create places that people would be interested in hanging out and coming to and enjoying life and a sense of community and having open space and all of these kind of things. And that's what fashion did. And um, just to recount uh, a story, when we were doing The Grove, I had never done a department store deal and we had heard that Nordstrom maybe was interested in a deal and I called your head of real estate at the time. Cole called him. Dave Mackey, was that who? It was Dave Mackey. Yeah. And Dave Mackey very nicely educated me on what a department store deal looks like. <laughs> and I said, how the hell does anybody make money off of that deal? And he said, that's not our problem. <laughs> About six months later, we ended up making a deal that worked for both of us, and it's been a great, uh, a great ride with the Nordstroms uh, ever since then. So that's my start. I'm kind of curious, you talk about how that partnership started with us, and I remember us wanting to be in a better position in the LA market. We originally went there in the early 80s, we were at West Side Pavilion, and we were at South Bay, and yep. Glendale, and some of these places. And at the time, those were the absolute best centers to mm -hmm. be at. But things evolve and change, and as time right. went on, and we had such a strong footprint in California that we didn't feel like we were necessarily in the best places as much anymore. And then, you know, the location for the Grove was something that was kind of target rich for us. So can you talk a little bit about how that, that happened? So you talk about working with Dave, but then I can't remember exactly, you know, who on our team you were engaging with, whether it was, I'm, I'm it, trying to remember Blake. how that happened. It was Blake, it was my brother. Okay. Yeah, it was your brother. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is if, I don't know how many people here have been to the Grove or the area around the Grove, but when we announced the Grove, people literally thought we were crazy because there was no immediate freeway, uh, but it was bordered. What attracted me is I had Beverly Hills on one side, I had Hancock Park on the other side, the valley was an easy drive over, demographically it was really rich, and I had this great old historical landmark called the Farmer's Market that sort of had long been forgotten and had declined in terms of maintenance and whatnot. And I have to tell you a, just a quick story about that. So I'm trying to convince Dave Mackey that this is a great location for Nordstrom. And I walk over to the market. Now the market had gotten pretty seedy. And we're walking through the market and there was a gentleman that had taken like a sparklets bottle and cut open a hole and had it over his head and he literally walked up to me and Dave and said, hi, my name is Ninon. I'm from Planet Ninon. And I'm thinking, so that was really this, it. this that deal was... is dead now. <laughs> but the thing I'm very grateful for, and I'm not saying this because Pete's here, is you did trust sort of the vision that we had. And we trusted Nordstrom to do the right thing for us, which they did. But the Grove today continues to be in the top you know, one, two, or three centers in per square foot sales uh, in the country. But it's driven by the fact that it's an experience that people can come 
not just to shop or to dine, just to come and hang out. And that's why the open space became, is critically important, and I think continues to be critically important in our business. Yeah, I mean, I remember pretty clearly that what you were offering was different. I'm just curious if you can talk about that journey of your brand, the DNA of your company, and why it's different. Well, I think the footing of it, Pete, has always been there, right? The footing of it has been, if, if you ask me, like all of us ask ourselves, what business are we in, right? If you ask me or anybody in my company, there's a bunch of my executives here, we will not say we're in the development business. We're not going to say we're in the retail business. We're not going to say we're in the resort business. We say we're in the business of enriching people's lives. Now, that may sound corny, but that, that notion drives everything that we do. But more importantly, what it does, it gives us permission to do things that we otherwise couldn't do if we were just in the development business. That sort of basic premise that we hold true to, we've obviously learned, it's evolved, we learned from our retailers, our restaurateurs, our customers. But let me give you the importance of that permission. You go to the Grove and we've got a trolley at the Grove. It's about 1,600 feet of rail. It's literally on a train track. And thank goodness for the state of California, because we're so over-regulated in the state of California, that trolley that goes down the main street of the Grove literally has to get licensed as a train. And the gentleman or the woman driving that has to be a licensed conductor. It's crazy. It goes 1,600 feet. You know exactly where you're going on it. It's full every single day, by the way. And I joke around that if you take our trolley on passengers per foot, we move more passengers than any railroad in the United States. There's no doubt So it's become mind. a pretty coveted conductor job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but my point is, if we were in the development business, we'd never build the trolley. We wouldn't operate the trolley. But why do we have a trolley? Because in our minds, we said, what's going to get the primary shopper to the property and spend more time? It's going to be the mom, but it's going to be the child saying, can we go to the Grove today, mom, and ride the trolley? And then the mom's going to feel like she can stay there longer, and then she can shop, the children are happy, whatever the case may be. We want to make sure that your five senses are delighted. What you hear, what you smell, what you see, what you touch, everything has to transport you to a better place in time, has to drop your blood pressure, and has to make you happy. If I can get somebody in that state of mind, they're gonna stay longer. And the longer you stay, the more money you're gonna spend. So we've evolved a lot in what we do. And if you take a look at the Americana, which you're at also, the park is bigger, the experiences are different. If you look at Miramar, what we did on the beach and how we built a resort, but that's what drives us. And I think that's, you know, frankly, the key to the success that we've had for our retailers and our restaurateurs. We make a distinction. Pete is my customer. His customer is my guest. I gotta make sure that every day Pete's happy and his team is happy being on our property and that we're making his customer happy every single day so they return over and over and over again. Well, I gotta say, for whatever it's worth, it, it is different. We were just talking about this before we got up here. You know, We interact with all kinds of different landlords and developers and what have you. And it is different what you guys do there. And I give you a ton of credit for approaching it, first of all, from a customer-centric point of view, which aligns with what do. we're trying That's to right. do. One thing I want to get to, and it was actually going to be kind of the theme of this talk, and I'm interested how you react to this, but you get asked all the time, oh, how's it going? And you know, to be defined as a department store in these times, not an easy 
thing to do. Right. And so I get asked all the time, how's it going? And I always say, it's, it's hard. And so the, the response really has to be, for us collectively in this industry, how do we do hard better? Because if you think about, even in your time of doing this, it has changed and evolved. So I wonder if you right. can kind of speak to how the game has evolved and changed, how you guys do hard better. It's a great question. Um, I, I think for us, and I'm sure it's the same for you and most everybody in this room, we, we actually get charged up by having a challenge. And in today's environment, it's incredibly complicated. And so many things are out of our control. Security, safety. I mean, we're spending more money today on security than ever before because most cities are not protecting properties and we've had to lean in. We're, we want to make sure our guests are always safe. But, but you've got to have the right DNA in your office, right? You've got to have people that really want to work hard and solve problems and get excited about the outcomes of that. And you know, the old thing is, I think you've got to give permission to fail as long as failure doesn't become a habit. You want to give permission to fail and continue to try new things and pivot. So you, you mentioned this, the safety part of it. I think it's something that's super relevant right now. We, we've got to talk about it. Matter of fact, the last time you and I talked, you know, I was asking you about the customer experience and one of the things customers really love about your properties and the experience is safety is like one of them. It's right. a nice environment and it's safe. And you've been a good partner with that, which I thank you for. Listen, you know, so let's just take Los Angeles, take Seattle, take New York, take any major city. But in, in LA, you know, we've got crime problems and crime continues to be a problem. We have the largest homeless population in the United States, uh, in the city of Los Angeles. And our environments, we have a really simple standard. The simple standard is, and it's, this has been the, since I started the company, a mom pushing her baby in a stroller should never feel threatened by anything. So then the minute you have a city that feels threatening, you come onto our properties, we want it to feel like an oasis. Now, I think it's one of the reasons we're seeing an enormous rise on foot traffic on our properties, up 20% this year across our portfolio. We were talking about that before. Sales significantly increasing per square foot on our properties. Leasing demand, we're, we're running 100% leased on all of our properties. And we've got a waiting list to be on them. And I believe a big part of that is because we have made a huge commitment, not only in making it a fun place with the music, with the celebrations, with whatever it is during the holidays, and all of the things that we do, the mommy and me's every week in the park and whatnot. Where we used to have security guards, we used to call them in the Smokey the Bear outfit. They look good. Now we've got a security force on our property, very intentionally, khaki slacks, black shirts, and the sidearms, their weapons, are exposed. Are they off-duty? Is that what you have, off-duty? They're, they're off-duty LAPD yeah. or off-duty sheriff. Very well trained. So we're making a statement. We do not tolerate misbehavior on our properties, period, end of story. But then we backed it up with technology. We backed it up with technology in terms of cameras, license plate readers, facial recognition. We're tied into local law enforcement. So as a percent of sales, if you looked at things like security, like how much has that gone up in the last couple of years for you guys? Oh, it's probably gone up three times. That's amazing. It's, it's a lot. I, I want to ask a little bit about, and you've, you've touched on this, but you know, in our business, it's not just about selling stuff to a customer. 
it's, it's how we can contribute to the community as well. And you're really engaged philanthropically and in, in many ways with the community. So can you talk a little bit about the philosophy of your company about how to be engaged with the local community? Well, you know, again, like you, and, and your company's been incredibly engaged and generous. Um, we just believe we have to give back to the communities that we serve. We feel that every day that a guest comes onto our property, um, we're very fortunate to have them shopping with us. And so we have a foundation that my wife and I started. Uh, we focus on children that are at risk, that need uh, education and need health care. And most of it is inner city kids that are living at or below the poverty level. And it's not only about giving money, it's also about giving your time. So every one of my kids, since they were very young, uh, have worked uh, in those organizations. And uh, our company has a, a group or an organization called Caruso Cares. And we close the office a number of times a year. And all of our employees go out to these charities and, and work at them. And um, it's everything from a local church, a synagogue, a school, a hospital, a senior center. But we want to do things that are making people's lives meaningfully better. Uh, certainly during the holidays, we're giving away a lot of Thanksgiving dinners and all of those good kind of things. But I just, again, I find it, like we're having uh, next week 200 inner city kids that live in the projects. These are all kids that are growing up below the poverty line. They have never been to a movie. Think about this. Never been to a movie. We're having 200 of them over to watch a Christmas movie in the theaters at the Grove. We're going to be giving them dinner. They're going to watch the snowfall and have that experience. If that doesn't give me more than it gives them, right? That's the way I feel about it. So, uh, But we want our community to feel good about our company and feel good about our properties. Yeah. And one thing that's unique about you, working with all the different landlord, mall developer partners that we work with, I don't think anyone ever ran for mayor. So if you wouldn't <laughs> mind, I, I think your, your whole civic-mindedness extends beyond just running a successful business. I mean, you take this stuff really seriously in a way that, you, yeah. you know, you ran for mayor. So can you talk a little bit about that intersection of doing good as a business and, and, and the political part of it as well? Sure. Well, it didn't end the way I wanted it to. Uh, <laughs> That's why I was, I was reluctant to bring it up. Uh, no, 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 listen, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. I, and I would have never changed it um, other than the end. But here, here's why I did it, Pete. Um, these cities, and I'm not, I don't want to get into it you know, too deep into the politics, but these cities don't have to have these kind of problems. L.A. does not have to have tonight 18,000 women in L.A. City are going to go to sleep on the streets. 80% of them will somehow be accosted in the night. The growing population of families on the street is the highest growth rate ever. We now have more kids and families living on the street than ever before. We have the highest rate of drug addiction. Eight people today are going to die in the streets of L.A. either because of drug addiction or whatever the case is. It's just... It's so inhumane what's happening out there, and it's so solvable. But it's solvable if you're not a politician, if you're not in the career of getting reelected. And I have no interest in being a career politician, but I do have interest in helping the city that I love and reducing crime. Years and years ago, uh, Jim Hahn was the mayor and asked me to be the police commissioner. And it's an appointed position, it's an unpaid position, and I reluctantly did it. 
And at the time, we had the highest crime in the history of the city. And I changed management, like all of us would do in business when your management isn't working. Brought in a guy named Bill Bratton, if you remember Bill Bratton out of New York. Changed the leadership. We got the crime to the lowest level since 1950. So I know these things can change. And that's why I did it. The benefit I got, which was multifold, going around the city and just seeing the dearness of the people throughout the city of Los Angeles and neighborhoods that I probably would have never otherwise seen, and going into the neighborhoods with my kids and my wife. My wife is very private, very shy, very sweet. She's the best human being in the world. But, and this was the last thing she wanted, but she did it because she knew the mission we were on. And we would go into these homes, Pete, of people that literally are working poor, struggling, never complaining. And they would hug me and the kids as we would meet people. And I would tell the kids, that hug is hope. That's what we're giving them, that hope that there's a better day, that they can raise their family in a better condition, that there's more opportunity for them. And so without being corny, it was just the greatest experience of my life. I'm more committed to doing more for the city and for the communities than ever before because I really saw up close, as much as I thought I saw it through our charity, I saw it so up close, the struggle so many people have that they frankly don't have to have. And uh, I think, you know, as a community of, of people in this country, we should demand more from our elected officials. We pay a lot of taxes and we expect better service. Yeah. Okay, the last thing I, I want to ask, and then we'll be able to open up for some questions, is um, I'm interested in your advice for the retailers in the room, and for me, uh, selfishly, you know, as you think about what we're working on here and, and how to, to be relevant and meaningful to customers and to have a thriving business, what advice do you have for retailers like us? <laughs> you know, I see retailers that really do some really interesting good stuff and restaurateurs, right, that really execute at a very high level. I mean, I think Nordstrom, you guys execute at a very high level. Customer service is critically important. Anybody, in my opinion, who wants to be relevant in this business has got to figure out what the customer wants and then deliver it beyond the customer's expectation, whether that's convenience, whether that's less friction in the transaction, the product that's being sold, the cleanliness of the, the place, how somebody's greeted. I mean, all of those kind of things, this whole notion of just saying yes, the answer has to always be yes. And what I think becomes complicated is the consumer's so varied, right? But what I would challenge every retailer to do is just reinvent yourself. Like, I walked into the Saks in Miami and they did Casa Tua Cucini. I don't know if you've seen that. So it's not just a restaurant, it's sort of like a small eatery okay. inside the store. So they're selling packaged food. They're selling packaged food, they're, they've got a deli, okay. they, got, they got all this kind of stuff. There was a great energy that was coming out of that that sort of went throughout the store. And I thought that was a really cool idea that they took that kind of square footage and it's not massive. Now Casa Tua, as many of you know, down in Miami is a famous restaurant. So there's an interesting co-branding going on there. Which yeah, I, I like that. Cool. It's got a local community tie in. That's right, good. right. So if you get a local great chef restaurateur that's taking a portion of a department store and creating this 
really cool environment, I think it elevates the whole cool factor of the place, right? And the whole experience of walking in there. You guys did something which was, and I'm not just throwing you compliments for the sake of it, but you did something years ago that was brilliant. You tore down the front of your store that was a typical uh, storefront of a department store with some fenestration windows and made it all glass. It was a brilliant move. The whole experience walking in, it just changed your attitude walking into the place. You were ahead of your time because if you haven't seen the new Apple at the Grove, you should go check it out. It's one of the most beautiful buildings I've seen. It's the most on-brand retailer building I have ever seen. Uh, Apple spent a fortune, but it's all glass and all the glass opens up and connects to the outside. So you were ahead of the time. And I think those kind of things of reinventing how you're walking in, what you're seeing when you're walking in, like I, I will challenge the idea of the pickup of the product being up front. I know that's convenient, but it's not the first thing I want to look at when I'm walking into a department store. Well, we have evolved that, like for example, the order pickup at our store in downtown Seattle is up on the fourth floor. So That's originally good. what we want to do is have it right front and center so people knew it's a service that we provide. But I think that's become more of an expected thing over time. So it doesn't have to be at the front. That's good. But these are things that we're working on. But it's interesting you mentioned that glass front at the Grove and that's worked out really well for us. But if you think about the legacy approach of how department stores or even malls, they were enclosed like fortresses. That's right. And not particularly inviting. Right. And it's, it's actually what gave us really the vision to do what we did in New York. And if you've seen that sort of, it's, yep. it's all glass. It's awesome. We want to be connected to the, the city yeah. and, the, and everything that goes on there. And it's been great. Um, and we're really glad we did it. But it, to your point, it is a differentiator because pretty much every other retail building like ours is more like a fortress. Yeah, you walk in, you sort of feel like it's coming around you. So. You did it, do more of it, right? Yeah, I don't know if we can afford to go do all of our stores that way. <laughs> One at a time, maybe. Hey, look, that's all great. Why don't we um, open it up to some questions? And since these are, aren't planted, I have no idea where this is going to go. So let's, let's see have what fun with here. it, though. Why not? Hello, my name is Elon. I'm from LA. Thank you guys for speaking. My question is, Rick, as a developer, how do you look beyond the performa and focus more on a qualitative approach rather than a quantitative approach, especially when starting out and maybe you need funding and you need to justify it to other people why you want to be more qualitative rather than, oh, I'm going to look at the numbers and this doesn't make money, I'm not going to do it. Well, it's a good question. Listen, I, uh, I started my business doing numbers on the back literally of an envelope. We want to make money for sure, but what's more important to me is I want to create value. So I want to be in an area that has high barriers to entry, it's tough to develop in, complicated to get entitled because it limits competition, and then I want to build a product that many parts of that product will never make economic sense individually, like operating a trolley, having a fountain, having a park potentially, but that creates value because the consumer is going to spend more money but create something that you really want to be at and be proud of and you want to sit there and watch people enjoy. And I think that creates value a hundred times beyond what you could ever put on a piece of paper. Yeah. First of all, thank you for a great 
presentation and sharing that with us. I had the absolute pleasure, and this isn't a question, this is a compliment I want to pay to you, to visit the Grove probably 12 or 14 years ago. And at about four o'clock in the afternoon as we were wrapping up our shopping and having some early, early dinner, we overheard that it's going to snow here at 6 p.m. <laughs> and so we were absolutely mesmerized. We were tired because we'd been there since 10 o'clock in the morning. But we decided to stay until 6 p.m. And here I am all these years later, I can't tell you how many times I've told that story <laughs> about how magical the Grove was because it snowed in Los Angeles. So I just want to thank you for creating that experience. Oh, it was thanks. amazing. And it thank sounds you. like you're still doing it. Oh yeah, it snows, it snows twice a night now at the Grove. <laughs> Can I tell a quick story about that? Sure. There was a young man when we were just finishing up the Grove. He was 18, 17, 18 years old, and he was an apprentice magician at a place in Los Angeles. And he cold called me and he said, Rick, I've got this idea. I've got this sphere and I'm going to sit in the sphere and I could be in the, the common area of the grove during Christmas time. And then all and I'll be dressed as Santa Claus. And then all of a sudden it's going to snow inside the sphere. And this is going to be a great attraction to bring people to the grove. And I said to him, I said, that's a really great idea. But how about this? why don't you make the whole place snow? And then everybody can experience the snow. Now, I say that only because sometimes the simplest ideas that coming from somebody that you would never expect triggers an idea that changes the trajectory of something. I never would have thought about having it snow at the Grove when we built it 22 years ago. But it was this young guy with this one idea and it's made an enormous amount of difference for our company. But at the same time, it put this guy in business. This guy now has, it's snowing at shopping centers around the country. He's built an enormous business out of it. That's his whole gig, is That's making his it snow gig. at shopping centers. It was great. So I have to constantly remind myself, stay open to new ideas and somebody cold calling you with an idea because chances are it might be really good and create good value and a great experience for your customers. Yeah, I just had a, a question uh, regarding flash mob theft yeah. and what you guys, what your thoughts are on it and what provisions you're starting to put into place that may prevent that or, or solve that problem long-term. So, so we had it happen to us at Americana, uh, at Brand. Uh, we learned a lot from it. We thought we might escape the impact of it, but I don't think anybody sort of escapes it. But here's what we've done. Um, one is on all of our properties now, and we pay for it, and it's expensive, we put a film on the storefronts that uh, will prevent somebody from smashing and grabbing. Uh, they'll eventually get through the glass, but it takes them a hell of a lot of time. And it gives our security force the time to get there uh, if they're across property, uh, or if it's in the evening, the police department or whatnot. Uh, we've increased the cameras that we have on our properties. I talked about we've got the license plate readers, facial recognition. We're tied in to law enforcement. So if somebody is driving down the street and the license plate picks up that they're wanted, we're immediately notified. The law enforcement's immediately notified and we can be more proactive. And we make it very clear that we have zero tolerance. And so, and we talked about it after it happened at Americana. 
Uh, we immediately put up a $50,000 reward uh, for the arrest, and uh, that caused uh, most of that group to get arrested. We're, we're, we're very forceful about this because it's not the experience we want for our retailers or for our guests on the property. Uh, fortunately, since then, uh, we've avoided those on our properties and hopefully we'll continue to avoid them. But they're expensive measures and this film that goes on the windows is very expensive to put up, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah, we, we've got that film as well, but it doesn't prevent someone driving a car through your window. We've had a yeah. few of those. Yeah. I mean, the flash mob thing is, at least in our experience, is less about that, and it's more about an organized, I mean, it's not shoplifting the way it's you organized, think about it. It's organized, that's right. It's an organized situation where you run in, and it's usually young people, and when you're dealing with about 10 or 12 people that come in all at once, I mean, you're in-store staff, you asset protection staff, that's right. can't really do much about it. Right. And, you know, it's terrifying to customers and, and to uh, our employees you know, and we have things that are cabled down because typically what, like, what they want to steal are designer handbags, easiest yeah. defense, they're expensive. But they, I mean, we've had videos of people basically taking handbags, but they're attached to a fixture and the fixture's coming with it. Now they're I, I saw pulling those. stuff out to the car. It's, it's brutal, but I, I think our only solution about that is things that have been talked about. There's first, first of all, a visible show of force which you know, could happen with off-duty police. It's gotta be in partnership with whatever's going on with the mall developer mm -hmm. in the city. I mean, things like just city police will park a car in front of our store, a police car. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a deterrent to someone and going mm -hmm. to do a grab and run. Mm -hmm. But it's a combination of all these things and you know, us spending more money as well. I, I don't think there's, a, there's an easy solution for all this, but it's definitely changed and evolved you know, from 25, 30 years ago where shoplifting was not an organized, coordinated event. That's right. At this magnitude. It's organized crime, absolutely. Yeah. Should be prosecuted as such. Got a question over here to yep. your left. Hey Rick, you talked about how when you uh, started out, you changed the game for shopping centers. Uh, what are you guys doing now and what are other, other developers doing now to change the game for centers going forward, given how much is uh, changed over the years and, and how would a store like Nordstrom fit into that vision? Well, I could tell you out in the Palisades, if you've seen our project in Pacific Palisades, what we did out there very intentionally, that whole, that, it, it's literally in the middle of a neighborhood. Uh, Pacific Palisades is one of the wealthiest communities in the United States. We were able to sort of buy the old downtown. It's only about three and a half acres. The total project's about 125,000 square feet. That whole project could fit inside the Nordstrom at the Grove, but that whole project has as many doors, stores, as the Grove does. So very intentionally, we had every retailer be smaller. We pushed storage down below so the sales floors were very efficient. It also drives a nice high sales per square foot and a lot of efficiency for the retailer. Um, and we put together a beautiful collection of stores out there, luxury, upscale market, et cetera, uh, that's out there. But I think the efficiency of the space of retailers and convincing retailers they could be, you know, do just as well satisfying customer needs with less space was a game changer. We're doing another project like that up next to our hotel in Montecito where we're building a village. Uh, and it's gonna have the same kind of formula because it's worked so well. I really believe that there's a big movement towards being more local. And people wanna live, shop, recreate, hang out 
in their town. And so our push is to build more projects that feel very local in scale, local in terms of the retail mix, and have that kind of vibe that it's just part of their community. And it feels very organic in terms of scale and design. And again, the Palisades is, it's in the top five centers in the United States now in sales per square foot. This, I'd like to keep going with this, but since we're the only thing standing between you and lunch, I feel like we should stay within our time envelope here. Um, so we've come in on our time. Rick, I really want to thank, thank you, you. For, for doing this with me. And really thank you it. to all of you for inviting us and let's have this conversation. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey, and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like, a share, and a review so other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to nordstrom.com slash Podcast or follow us on our Instagram page at the Nordy Pod to stay up to date on new episodes, announcements, and more. We'd also really like to hear about your experience with Nordstrom. So if you have a story about how you've received great service or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com. You can give us a call and leave a voicemail too. And you may just get a chance to talk to me personally on a future episode of the show. That number is 206-594-0526. So don't be shy, drop us a line and be part of the Nordipod. And make sure to tune in next time when I sit down with Scott Fife, currently CEO of Australian department store, David Jones. We had burning platforms everywhere. We were riddled with debt. It was very clear to me that sitting with the status quo, you can't do that. And I would say to anyone going into any retail environment, try things, prepare to make mistakes. We'll get some things right and we'll get some things wrong. You know, but standing still is just not an option. Scott and I met through IGDS, the Intercontinental Group of Department Stores, which serves to connect a wider net of retailers from across the globe to learn and grow from each other. Don't miss this fascinating conversation next time on The Nordy Pod.